How are you guys doing? Good. So we got some crazy women up the hill at a retreat. I don't know if you heard about that. So I'm seeing some pictures. They're like doing karaoke on Friday night. So that place will probably never be the same. Um, yeah, my wife's up there, so I'm kind of a bachelor this weekend, but my daughter came home from Pepperdine to study. She's got finals the next two weeks, so she's keeping me company and making sure I'm fed and clothed properly. So that's always good. Hopefully I match. Um, we have communion today, which I always love. Um, and then, um, yeah, so I'll be leading us in that time later on in the service. Uh, and Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. So our prayer team is hosting an event Thursday night here in the sanctuary from 7 to 8.30. Uh, please come, even if it's for a few minutes. Just come and go as you please between 7 to 8.30 here in the sanctuary. I'll be here. Hopefully you guys can make it. Uh, so some of us know about what's going on for, for Dave. I uh, emailed him um, yesterday morning and just said, hey, I want to say what's appropriate. I want to respect your privacy. So, gosh, if you can prepare a statement, <laughs> that would help me out so I don't have to figure out what to say. Um, so I'll just read you Dave's email from yesterday, Pastor Dave, so you know what's going on for him. Uh, as you know, he was uh, in the ER last Sunday at 5.30 um, in the morning. Uh, so anyway, picking up from there. So he says, last week, Sunday, I went to the ER for what I thought were kidney stones. The CAT scan on, uh, I'm sorry, the CAT scan in the hospital revealed a large mass on my kidney. A mass of this sort typically causes no pain at all and goes undetected uh, until it's too late. The Lord allowed the pain to get to the point where I had no choice but to go to the hospital where they discovered my condition. I've had more tests this week and will meet with the surgeon at USC on Tuesday morning at 8.30 uh, to learn about how they will treat my condition, most likely uh, with surgery. Um, in the meantime, my local doctor ordered strict bed or chair rest so everyone or everything inside of me can calm down, which it has, so that's good. I feel good. The pain is gone. I'm following the doctor's and my wife's orders to the letter. Smart men. Um, updates will come through the amazing prayer team led by Doug and Kathy Renault. Uh, I'm humbled and blessed and so grateful for the outpouring of love and prayers from my incredible uh, church family. I miss everyone and love everyone so much. So he's bored to tears. <laughs> That's the other component of being on bed rest. And he's an active guy, as many of us know. So I'm trying to keep Dave busy. And so I'm like blowing up his text and I'm bothering him and all kinds of stupid stuff because he just loves it. So I sent him, but this is one of my texts from earlier this week. I thought it was funny, so I thought I'd share it with you. I'm like, we went back and forth. I'm like, can I bring you anything? And I thought, I don't know. You know so I'm like, Slurpee? Like, these are things that I would want. Slurpee, baseball cards, crossword puzzle, a G.I. Joe doll. I just didn't know if Dave was into dolls anymore. I thought that was stupid. Uh, Godfather Trilogy. Seems like if he said Godfather Trilogy, I would take a day off and go watch that with him. And then, and then if you know Dave, he's a big Lakers fan. I said, or a DVD of the Lakers, 1980s version. And uh, he, he replied back, he goes, I actually have that DVD for the Lakers. He's a huge Lakers fan. And if you know anything about the Lakers, they won five national uh, or yeah, world championships during the 80s. So anyway, that's what's going on for him. And I share that with you. I know many of you um, are praying for him. Thank you. Please continue to do so. Um, yeah, but he's, under the circumstances, he's doing great. Under the circumstances. So, thank you. We are in Mark chapter 5. Last week, uh, on Saturday night, Dave preached through Mark 5, 1 through 20. Uh, I hope you were able to hear that online so we can just pick up at verse 21 in the book of Mark. So, turn with me to Mark chapter 5. 
verse 21 through 43. Verse 21, Mark chapter 5. When Jesus had crossed over again, so he's going back to Capernaum, when he crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed by the seashore, and one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and upon seeing Jesus, fell at his feet, and implored Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her, so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him, Jairus, and a large crowd was following Jesus and pressing in on him. Verse 25. A woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. Well, after hearing about Jesus, she came up into the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus perceived in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told the whole truth to him. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe or keep on believing. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of Jesus. And they came to the house of the official and saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering, he said, Why make a commotion? Why weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. And understandably, they began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately she got up and began to walk. Years old, and they were completely astounded. And he gave strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. Soren Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard, 1813 to 1855. He was only 42 when he passed away. He was a Danish philosopher and theologian. And he declared, listen to this, he declared that in removing from Christianity, its ability to shock, it is altogether destroyed. Jesus didn't do a lot of mainstream stuff, right? This is, where he's, this is what he's talking about. Removing from Christianity its ability to shock, it is altogether destroyed. It becomes a superficial thing, incapable of inflicting deep wounds or of healing them. Hmm. Think about that. It becomes a superficial thing. I hope we are not here for superficial reasons but to allow the Lord to inflict deep wounds because sometimes we need those or healing us from them because we need that as well, don't we? Consider, shocked, right? The, the gospel message. Consider in the last few Sundays, if 
you go to Mark chapter 4, you don't have to turn there if you don't want, but in Mark 4, verses 30 to 34, Jesus talked about this mustard seed, that the kingdom of God would come from a mustard seed. He would do great things with very little resources. That's kind of a shocking thing, right? Like how, can, how can great big things come out of something very, very small? And he's talking about his kingdom. He's talking about our faith, right? Only mustard seed is used twice. That if we have faith, we can move mountains. Faith like a mustard seed. And God would build this incredible kingdom from a mustard seed, from this crucified man with very few followers at his death. And from the mustard seed, and from 30 to 34, the mustard seed, he goes into verse 35 to 41, where they, they, they get in the boat to go to the other side, and they, and they encounter this fierce uh, storm, right? And he calms the storm, and they say, who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So he's got this mustard seed stuff, and he's calming the winds and the sea. Okay, that's kind of shocking. And then in verse, uh, get into chapter 5, what Pastor Dave covered last week, and you get Mark 5, 1 through 20. And he encounters, he gets off the boat, and the first he meets a guy, and he's demon-possessed with a legion of demons, at least 2,000 demons. And he casts them into a, 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 a herd of pigs that go over the cliff into the water. Okay, that's kind of weird, right? And then in this story, you've got this, this synagogue ruler, this really influential person, and then this woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years two different extremes. A social outcast, an unclean woman, and somebody who's very prominent. And Jesus speaks into both of them. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are here to teach us, to touch us, to move us and to shape us, help us to trust you in that process. Lord, have your way with us. We give you permission. Remove from us the barriers that keep us from trusting you and learning about you and knowing you so that we can trust you. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Anybody heard of John Newton? Raise your hand if you've heard of John Newton. Okay, most people haven't. He was born in 1725 and died in 1807. He was an English sailor in the Royal Navy and later a captain of slave ships before he got saved. He was a poet and a clergyman, and he wrote a song many of us have heard of if you've been to church ever, called Amazing Grace. You heard of that song? Raise your hand if you've heard of that song. Now you've heard of John Newton. He says this, and listen carefully. He said, because God's always shaping us, right? God's always shaping our faith, right? We understand this. He says, assurance, or faith, assurance grows by repeated conflict. Hmm, I'm not sure I like John so far. Assurance grows by re- repeated conflict by our repeated experimental proof of the Lord's power and goodness to save. When we have been brought very low, but helped, sorely wounded, but healed, cast down and raised again, having given up all hope and been suddenly snatched from danger and placed into safety. And when these things have been repeated to us and in us a thousand times over, we begin to learn to trust simply in his word and in our God. Beyond and against appearances and this trust when habitual and strong bears the name of assurance or faith, for even assurance or faith has degrees. And we're going to see that in our text this morning. What a great quote from John Newton. So we're going to do a couple things, quite, quite simply. We're going to unpack the story. We're just going to tell the story again. We're going to look at some of the characters, and then I have four takeaways. Alright? So, the story, the characters, and then a couple of takeaways. There's four of them. Before we get started, if we're not careful, we might miss 
the under, uh, we might miss the point of this of, of our text this morning if we're not careful. Let me ask you. It might seem like a trick question, but hopefully it's not. Who did Jesus come to heal? Who did Jesus come to heal? Which is who? That's right. Jesus came to heal everyone. Right? Jesus came to heal everyone. To heal them from which disease? Sin. That's the ultimate goal. We understand this, right? The ultimate goal that Jesus came for is to heal everybody of their sin. That's the, that's the primary thing. Keeping the main thing the main thing. Everyone or anyone who comes to him by faith shall be forgiven and healed of a disease called sin. Hebrews 8.12 says this, I will be merciful to their iniquities, to your iniquities and my iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Everything, everything, everything should always point to the healer. To the healer. If we get lost in this text and we don't realize the focus is on the healer, then we're going to get focused on the healing of this young girl and of this woman. But it's always, the focus should always be on the healer. Okay? Everything points to Christ. Okay? We good with that? So the story. This story is Mark's account of a 12-year-old girl restored to life and of a woman healed who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Mark juxtaposed, which means he places side by side two examples of faith. Jesus is always wanting to develop our faith. So he places side by side two examples of faith. The faith of a synagogue ruler and the faith of an impoverished woman. So that we can compare those things. Mark reveals the story to us by using what we call a sandwich structure. So there was three stanzas. Verses 21 through 24 is the first part of the sandwich, like the top. And then the middle is this hemorrhaging woman. And then we go back to the daughter, to Jairus' daughter, on the bottom part of the sandwich, if you will. Jesus' delay. So he meets with Jairus, and Jairus says, let's go to uh, touch my daughter, to lay your hands on her so she could be healed. And so his delay because of this impoverished, hemorrhaging woman, appeared to be disastrous for Jairus and his daughter because while he's finishing up with the woman, they say it's too late, she's died. But it was providentially ordered to test and to strengthen Jairus' faith. Let's kind of revisit. I just want to skim through those three stanzas. So 21 through 24, right? So Jesus comes back again to Capernaum. There's a large crowd. And and this guy named Jairus, this uh, synagogue ruler or official, falls at his feet and he implores him saying, my, my daughter's at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. And so off Jesus goes with Jairus. So far so good. Verses 25 through 34. So this woman kind of stops this whole ordeal. She's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She spent all her money on physicians and her condition is actually worse. She's completely broke. After hearing about Jesus, she came up Uh, in the crowd behind him and she touches him and she's made well and then Jesus says who who touched me and he finds her he looks to her in verse 32 looking around to see the woman but she was fearful and trembling aware of what had happened and she comes and falls down before Jesus and tells him everything and he says to her daughter your faith has made you well it's the only place in scripture that Jesus refers to anybody as daughter very tender very loving. It's pretty powerful. Verse 35. So now we go back. So while he was still speaking to this woman, 
some of his friends, if you will, or family, come from the house of Jairus, and they say, your daughter's died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. But he overhears this, and he says to Jairus, don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. And he allowed nobody to go with him except Peter, James, and John. And they get to the house, and there's craziness going on. There's weeping and wailing because mourners are its part of their custom. is for mourners to come and weep and wail. And he entered and said, why all the commotion? The child is not dead, but is asleep. And they laughed. But he puts them all out, and he takes James, Peter, James, and John, and the mom and the dad, and he raises her up. And then they feed her. So that's the story. The second thing is the main characters, right? Who are the main characters of faith in this story? The first one is Jairus. Jairus is our first main character. He's the synagogue official, which means he's the ruler of the synagogue. It's the senior position in the synagogue. And, of course, it's in Capernaum. And this office of uh, synagogue ruler was sometimes held for a, a period of time, or sometimes it was held for a lifetime. And what the ruler of the synagogue did was he attended to the logistical and the spiritual matters within the synagogue. He took care of the physical arrangements for the services of worship, the maintenance of the building. He determined who would be called to read from the law and the prophets and or to conduct prayers. A highly respected leader in the community is a synagogue official. Highly respected no doubt was a person of wealth, no doubt was educated. As we know from verse 40, he was married, had a wife, and he probably knew Jesus, because if you go to Mark chapter 1, one of the first things Jesus did is he went to the synagogue in Capernaum. So they probably know each other. So you have Jairus, the synagogue ruler. And then the scene shifts in verse 24 to who? How does it refer to her? How does Scripture refer to her? First two words. A woman. Jairus, the synagogue official, and a woman. That's it, a woman. What do we know about this woman? She had an incurable condition. For 12 years, she had been hemorrhaging. She was broke. All that she had, she spent to try to get this fixed. And her condition had actually grown worse. She had only heard about Jesus, unlike Jairus, who arguably knew Jesus and met Jesus and assigned Jesus some uh, reading of Scripture and some prayers. She had only heard about him. Unlike Jairus, who was highly respected in the community, she lived as an outcast in society because of her hemorrhaging. Her condition made her ritually unclean, excluding her from any normal social relations since anybody who came into contact with her would also be unclean. Look at Leviticus 15, 25, 26, and 27. I'm sorry, turn there with me to Leviticus, right at the very beginning of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus 15. Verse 25, now if a woman has a discharge of her blood many days, not at the period of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond that period, all the days of her impure discharge she shall continue as though in her menstrual impurity. She is unclean. Verse 26, any bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her like her bed at menstruation, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean. 
like her uncleanness at that time. She can't even sit in a public place. Verse 27, Likewise, whoever touches them or her shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. So you have this upstanding citizen, this synagogue ruler, and you have this impoverished woman, you don't even know her name, who's completely socially outcast. And so this woman is juxtaposed, placed side by side to the daughter of Jairus. Because of her extreme need, she was a living, listen, she was a living dead person. Some of us are like that. We have extreme need and we need to be at the foot of the cross. And we're living dead people. For 12 years, that's a long time. When Jesus restored her to wholeness, we now find ourselves, at least if we're reading the story, we find ourselves eagerly anticipating the dramatic rising of Jairus' daughter, who, conversely, died after living for 12 years. So you have a woman who's living after was really dead for 12 years compared to a girl who's now dead that was living for 12 years. It's fascinating. And that's just kind of true about life, isn't it? We have stuff that it just kind of keeps us dead. And God can deliver us from that just like that, restore us. Then we have things that are going just fine, and just like that, things happen. It's just a picture of life. But in both of those scenarios, Jesus can come alongside of us. Jairus was about to lose a daughter who had given him 12 years of happiness. And the woman was about to lose an affliction that had brought her 12 years of sorrow. Interesting. So what are some of the takeaways from our text this morning? The first takeaway is that we serve an A to Z Jesus. We serve an A to Z Jesus. We're talking two extremes, this woman and this man. Two extremes of the story. Consider, going back to Mark 4, 35 to 41, when they were crossing to the other side and that fierce storm came and Jesus calmed the wind and the sea. And then consider, we get into Mark 5, verses 1 through 20, the legion of demons that Jesus also controls and casts them out of the man. And then in our story, this wealthy, highly respected synagogue ruler and this broke, highly not respected hemorrhaging woman. What's the common response in those four situations? Let's look. Look at Mark 4, verse 39 to 41. Mark 4, 39 to 41. So they're going over to the other side, right? And, and in verse 39, uh, Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died and became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith, right? It's the whole fear and faith thing. In verse 41, they became very much afraid in a reverential fear, re- recognizing him as God. And they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him. Okay, now let's look at Mark 5, verse 6. So essentially, the waves and the sea bow down. They take a knee to Jesus. You get that, right? Look at verse 6 in chapter 5. Seeing Jesus from a distance, this demon-possessed man ran up and bowed down before Jesus. So we got the wind and the sea bowing down. We got a legion of demons bowing down. Same response. Look at Mark 5:22, which is our text for today. Mark 5:22. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him did what? Fell at his feet. And then look in verse 33. What does the woman do? In verse 33, the woman fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell 
down before him. Whether it's the wind and the sea or whether it's demons or you're a rich synagogue ruler or you're a down and out woman, it does not matter. We all have a common response. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Arguably, we fit somewhere in there. Whether you're the wind in the sea or whether you're a demon-possessed person or whether you're a down-and-out woman or whether you're a highly respected person of influence, we all got to take the knee to Jesus. It makes us... We have everything in common in that regard. There's nothing that, that is impressive to Jesus about our life. We all must take a knee to Jesus. He's our A to Z Jesus, right? We serve an A to Z Jesus. We all fit in just perfectly in this church. None of us is better than the other. We all got issues before the Lord. The second thing, the second takeaway, is we need to forget the magic formula. Forget about a magic formula. Sometimes we want to know what the magic formula is. This is the best example I can give. I gave it in the last two services. It's probably not a secret how much respect and admiration I have for Pastor Dan. I'm just, he's such a man of God. And there are times when I think, gosh, I need to be a man of God like him. What's the magic formula? How can I be like Pastor Dave and be a better man of God just like he is? And sometimes we do that, right? We put this pressure on ourselves. We sit in church and we want to be like that person or we want to be like that person. We want to know what the magic formula is. Which scripture should I read? How much time should I pray? Should I be on my knees or should I be standing up? And do I do it in the morning or the afternoon? And what is the magic formula so I can just get it all right? We're going to learn from our text that there is no magic formula. So we put this pressure on ourselves. And sometimes we put it on other people. We think people should have a relationship with the Lord the way we do. We want them to do it the way we do it. And I'm just learning over the years, you know, it's just, I'm just so clear on that. You know, God just does different things different ways with different people. And it's all congruent. It's the body of Christ. And I'm so impressed and blessed by that. Consider this. Jairus just kind of a, this, this, this juxtaposing again. Most likely, as we mentioned, had access to Jesus because of his position. He had access to Jesus. He's an important guy. He most likely knew him from the synagogue, which we talked about. He came to Jesus in our text. He saw Jesus, our text says, Jairus did, and fell at his feet before him. So probably in front of his feet, right? Before him. And what he wants is he wanted to take Jesus to go lay hands on his daughter. So he wants Jesus to go touch his daughter. And so he goes off with Jesus. Now you have a woman who had no access to Jesus because she was unclean. She had no access to anybody. Most likely did not know Jesus. She heard about him in the text and she comes up to him from behind. Well, should I come to Jesus from in front or should I come to Jesus from behind? I don't know. I don't know what the magic formula is. And she hears about Jesus, right? And she touches his cloak. So Jairus wants Jesus to touch his daughter. She touches Jesus. Well, should I touch Jesus or wait for Jesus to touch me? I don't know the magic formula. Jesus does. What kind of faith did she have? What kind of faith did she have? It was weak. It was timid. And perhaps even a little bit superstitious because she thought if I just touch his clothes... Wants his clothes out, healing powers. No, but that's okay. That, you know, she's weak and she's timid. But Jesus honored her faith, weak as it was. He honors it. 
healed her body. Did she have faith like a mustard seed? Oh, he just talked about that in chapter before. About how God can do great things with little stuff. Powerful. She might have said, and understandably so, and maybe we do this too, I'm not important enough to ask Jesus for help. Who am I? I'm not important enough to ask Jesus for help. Or, when she went up to Jesus, who was he with at that time? With Jairus. That's right. He's going with Jairus. I don't want to bother Jesus now. He's too busy with an important guy. She could have argued that nothing else had helped her. Why try again? Nothing else has helped. Why try again? We get that way sometimes with the Lord, like nothing's working, nothing's working, nothing's working. Why try again? Over the years, I've heard people, and I've done this myself, where you're trying to get out of a pickle or something in your life, and you say, well, I've tried everything. I guess now I'll just have to pray about it. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, that's kind of embarrassing. Like, did I just say that? Right? conclude, and she might have concluded that it was not right to come to somebody that important as a last resort. Sometimes we do that. We want to go to Jesus. It's like, God, I've been ignoring for so long. Do I want to address him as my last resort? Yeah, we do. We do. We always want to address him. He's so loving. He's so caring. Have you ever heard people saying that Jesus is just a crutch? Christians have Jesus because Jesus is a crutch. Have you heard that saying? I've heard people say that. They've said it to me. And you know what my response is? Yeah, man. Absolutely. Homeboy has got a limp. I need a crutch. Like, I can barely walk without Jesus. Right? It makes sense. Of course he's a crutch. And you need him and I need him. Yes, he's a crutch. That's what he's here for. We're broken without him. So she lays aside all arguments and all excuses and she comes with a little mustard seed faith and she comes to Jesus. Whereas Jairus sees Jesus, Jesus in verses 32 sees the woman. He looks for her. That's it, right? Jairus is looking for Jesus. Jesus is looking for the woman. What's the magic formula? I don't know. Look at verse 24. In verse 24, he went off with him. So Jairus says, come to my house. And Jesus goes off with him. And so he's delayed. And in verse 29, the woman, immediately after she touched him, the flow of her blood was dried up. She was delivered. Okay, so Jairus goes and falls at his knees, or at his feet, and then Jesus delays. The woman goes from behind him, and Jesus delivers. What's the magic formula? I don't know. Jesus knows. We try to figure Jesus out all the time. Stop trying to figure Jesus out. Just go to Jesus. Let him figure it out. He'll work with you. Jairus, here's, it's so interesting. Jairus, um, where am I at? Okay, I'm here. Yes. So she, she fell down before him. Look at verse 33. In verse 33, the woman fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So she falls down before him and unpacks everything after she was healed. Right? She's already been healed. So she falls down after the healing and tells him everything. What did Jairus do in verses 21 to 24? He falls down to Jesus and then unpacks the truth before the healing. What's the magic formula? I don't know. 
It's just so interesting, right? It's A to Z. Jesus has got it covered A to Z. But here's what's in common. There's a lot of differences between these two stories and how they go about it. And there's no magic formula, but let me tell you what's consistent in their two stories. Look at verse 34. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Faith. 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 Jesus is trying to develop our faith. He's always trying to develop our faith. In verse 36, when Jesus overheard, he says, do not be afraid, only believe. Same word. Faith, believe. That's what was, that was what was in common. The other thing in common, look at verse 33. But the woman fearing, she had fear. And in 36, Jesus said, do not be afraid. And so you have this common theme between the two of them, between fear and faith, between fear and faith. Fear can cripple us, and faith just ignites us. And so Jesus is trying to purge out fear and develop our faith from A to Z with no magic formula. He's the magic formula. The third takeaway is that words are powerful. Words are powerful. Look at the first part of uh, 36. Jesus overheard what was being spoken and said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer. Sorry, let me backtrack. First part of 36, that's what I said. Jesus overheard what was being spoken. That's how it starts. Jesus overheard what was being spoken. Something was being spoken. If you unpack this text, what was being spoken by the masses? First thing, your daughter's dead. Ooh, that's a setback. Those are words, right? Words are powerful, right? Your daughter's dead. The second thing, don't bother Jesus anymore. That happens to us in our walk, right? Things aren't going well. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Hmm, interesting. And then there's commotion. There's loud weeping and wailing. Like there's proof that it's not going well. And then they laugh and they mock when Jesus says, I'm not done. And there's laughing and mocking. That's what's being spoken by the masses. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother Jesus. There's weeping and wailing. And there's laughing and mocking. But what did Jesus speak? The second part of verse 36. Because the words, listen church, the words we choose to listen to, the words we choose to listen to, it's a choice. The words we choose to listen to have huge impact on our lives, don't they? It's a choice. Sometimes we just need to choose to take God at His word, don't we? It's hard. It's hard. Jesus, the first thing in verse 36, is He spoke a word of faith. Jesus spoke a word of faith when He said, Do not be afraid. Believe. Have faith. Just like the hemorrhaging woman in verse 34, when He says, Your faith has made you well. So He speaks into us words of faith. Jairus had to either believe his friends or the Lord. He had to believe his friends or believe the Lord. So Jesus breathes words of faith. We all need a special word of faith from the Lord, and we receive it when we spend time in his word. Words of faith in God's holy scripture. Jesus also spoke a word of hope. Look at verse 39. Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. Oh, there's hope. So Jesus speaks to us words of faith, and he speaks to us words of hope. And then lastly, Jesus spoke a word of love in verse 41, when he actually says lovingly to the family and to the girl, get up. It's an act of his love. 
Look at 1 Thessalonians. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. It's to the right. It's after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. You'll run into 1 Thessalonians. And Paul's writing to the church of Thessalonica. And he's, he likes this church. They're doing lots of things well. And he starts off in verse 2. And he says this, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith, love, and hope. And Jesus is always speaking words to us of faith and of hope and of love. But if we look more carefully at those words, look at the words before each of those three. What kind of faith is it? Your what of faith? Work. Your work of faith. It's work. We have to work at our faith. What kind of love is it? It's a labor of love. Wow. i got to work for my faith? i got to labor for my love? Yeah, and it gets worse. You have to have steadfastness of hope. It's a tall order to be the church. It's a tall order to be obedient. It's a tall order to have Jesus breathe faith, hope, and love into us. And so we need Him. And we have to take the need in. We can't do it on our own. Lastly, the last takeaway is that Jesus can find you. Jesus can find you. A to Z, He can find you. In these verses, when I read them, it was just, it was chaos to me. I'm reading verses 21 through 43, and it's just a lot going on. It's just crazy. And that's kind of the way Mark... Uh, you know, wrote his, his gospel. In verses 21 through 24, in that first stanza, the word crowd is mentioned in verse 21. The word crowd is mentioned in verse 24, followed by the crowd was pressing in on him. So there's just stuff going on, right? This craziness, and people are pressing in on him. Oh, and then it goes to the next stanza in verses 25 through 34. Crowd is mentioned in verse 27. Crowd is mentioned in verse 30, and they were pressing in on him in verse 31. It's still kind of crazy. And then in the last stanza, it says that there's commotion and weeping and wailing and people saying, don't come. It's like, ah! And in the midst of all that, we hone in on a rich synagogue ruler and a woman. God finds them. One's looking for him, he's looking, and they're both looking for him, and he's looking for them. God finds us in the midst of all the crowd, in the midst of all the commotion. There were many, many people in the crowd that were close to Jesus and pressing against him. But we'll only talk about two. Because it's one thing, church, to press in on Jesus. It's one thing to press in. A lot of people were pressing in, but we'll only hear about two people. A well-known person and a well-unknown person. It's one thing to press in on Jesus. But it's something else quite different to actually trust him. That's what's being pointed out by Mark. Lots of people pressing on Jesus. What about you? What about you? Do you press in on Jesus like these people in Mark chapter 5? You're always around Jesus. You're always listening to Jesus. You're in church. You're in a Bible study. You're reading your Bible. You're always watching Jesus to see what he's doing in people's lives. But you haven't actually put your faith in him yet. You haven't really released to Jesus all that he's asking you. Completely trusted him. I don't know. I've I got to be honest with you. I suppose I'm no different than any of you. I have fears that Jesus might take it all away. 
That would be a rash, or, or, right? I and mean, that's an understandable fear, right? What if God takes my wife and my kids and, and uh, whatever, my income, and I got nothing? What would my faith be like? But I still have faith. I hope so. I don't want to just be around him, pressing in on him, listening to him, watching him. I want to have faith in him all the time in all circumstances. It's not easy. And so for some of us, maybe now is the time to actually place our faith in him. Whether for salvation or whether you're just working through some stuff and you just need to give it to the Lord. Like Jairus and this woman, amidst all the chaos around us, he can find us. We can find him. Don't let the noise of life keep you from Jesus. Too often we say to ourselves, certainly he must have more important things or more important people to worry about than me. But I just love in verse 32, when he looked around and he saw the woman. He finds us. Jesus finds us. I'm so thankful. We're going to go into our time of communion. Let me read a scripture from Luke 22, verse 19 and 20. And then I'm going to pray. And then the worship team will come back up and lead us into a time of communion. And I shared earlier, I didn't do this the first couple of services, I just forgot. But when I talked earlier about we all have to take a knee to Jesus. If it's comfortable, whether it's at your chair or you want to come up here, take a knee. Recognize Jesus for who he is. Come to the altar, if you will, or at your, at your chair or somewhere off to the side. And just take a knee to Jesus. Let me read the scripture and then I'm going to pray. Luke 22. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which, poured, uh, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we have so little to say in comparison to your great sacrifice. The only thing left to say is thank you. Remind us, Lord, how hard it was to give your Son for us. Remind us, Lord, of the pain he suffered. Remind us, Lord, of your love. Remind us of the hope we have in you. Refresh our souls with the joy of your salvation. Bless the bread, Lord, as a reminder of Christ's sacrifice and of the unity of his body. Bless the cup as a sharing in the death of Christ as we die to ourselves in order to live for you. Thank you for your love and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen.